0: Good morning. Open your Bibles this morning to Second Timothy, Second Timothy going into the New Testament this morning to begin our brand new series, four week series entitled The Good Work. And we are so excited. I am so excited to begin this series with you. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to unpack this idea of the good work and we're going to talk about this at great lengths. And so I want to invite you and encourage you to uh, commit as best you can. Say, you know what? For the next four weeks, I'm going to commit to be here. I'm going to commit to make it a point to try to attend each one of these messages and so that I can know how God has equipped me and encouraged me and strengthened me to do the good work that he's called me to do in this world. And so uh, I know things come up. I know life is difficult, I know it's hard to be somewhere consistently every single week, and so I do want to let you know, if you miss any of the messages, uh, you can get them online through our app, as I've already mentioned, North Goodland BC in your app store, you can get them through our website, northgoodland.org, or you can even get them on CD if you'd prefer to have a CD copy so you can listen to it in the vehicle or something, you can get that at the Welcome Center, and so plenty of ways to make sure that you stay connected to the series, Uh, we want you to be encouraged by this, and to know what good work God is. Called you to accomplish and how you can even accomplish that good work. And so uh, we have been called to do a good work. And I want you to know and I want to give you a confidence that you can do the work you have been called to do. You can accomplish the good work that you have been called to do. God is desiring to use us to accomplish his global plan and purpose. He wants to use us. And I know if I'm being honest this morning, which I hope we want to be a little transparent this morning in church. Man, there are a lot of days I don't feel very capable of doing what he's called me to do. No one else? Okay. I don't feel very capable some days. I'm just going to be real. Uh, guys, I'm not kidding with you. There's days I come home and I look at my wife and, I'm, and she's so gracious. She's so loving. And I'll say, man, I just, I just don't, I just, I'm not getting it. I'm just not there. Man, I just, I'm just not ready for, I just can't, I'm not capable. I can't do it, you know? And usually, I'll be honest with you, do you know when I start thinking like that, which is wrong thinking, by the way, but do you know when I start thinking that way? When I start playing the comparison game, right? When I start comparing myself to someone else, or where someone else is at, or where somebody else is at in their journey, and I start comparing myself, then I start thinking, well, I'm, I'm not as good as them. I can't do what they do. I'm not gifted like them, but I want you to know this morning. That the good work that you have been called to accomplish by God himself, you can accomplish. And here's the catch. It's not because it's you doing the work. It's because it's him doing the work through you. And we're going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks. And I know that sounds simple to say. I know it's easy for me to just say that in church. And, and okay, yeah, that's great. I want to believe that. But living it out, man, living it out can be a whole different thing. Uh, When you think about this idea of not feeling capable, not feeling qualified or able to do what God is calling us to do, I want you to know that in Christ, you are fully equipped to do everything that God is calling you to do. I had you go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 is where we're going to be. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you that if you would like one, uh, you can go out to the Welcome Center following the service today, pick one of those up, uh, completely free of charge. Uh, no credit card, no blood type, no nothing. You can just have that. Uh, we don't need your email. We don't need anything. Uh, if you want to give us your email, sure, we'll spam you. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, it's all good. If you do have a device with you today, maybe your cell phone or your tablet, uh, you can also get the Bible through our uh, app, North Carolina BC, at the App Store. You can get your Bi- the Bible through there as well if you want to download that during the service today. And so Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 Uh, Praise God for his word, that we can read it collectively this morning and be encouraged by it. Amen. We're thankful for the word of God today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul writing here to a young man named Timothy who is a pastor of a church, most likely many small churches. Uh, This young man, Timothy, could be in his 20s, his young 20s. Paul, being much older, uh, led Timothy or at least encouraged Timothy as far as discipleship and mentorship in, in the Lord and encouraged him and says he's his son in the faith. And so he's trying to encourage Timothy in these verses. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child, speaking of Timothy, when Timothy was a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture, praise God for that, by the way, that all scripture is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I can't read that without saying this. It is profitable because it is the Word of God. It is not profitable because I deem it profitable in my life. There's a big difference there. The Word of God is not profitable because I see it as profitable or as beneficial. The Word of God is profitable and beneficial because it is the Word of God. And that's what Paul is revealing to Timothy here. He goes on to say this, is profitable for doctrine or teaching, It's for right, reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word this morning. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are just desiring to hear from you. Now, Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now that came to listen to what I had to say, that came to hear my words, I, I fear, Lord, they're going to be extremely disappointed. They're going to be let down because my words are feeble. My words are weak. I have no uh, wisdom to give except the wisdom of Christ, what you have revealed to us through your word. And so I pray, Lord, that as we, as we focus on your word today and as we encourage each other and as we listen to what you have for us today from the word of God, I pray that we would uh, apply these things to our lives. I pray that we would uh, open our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, coming before you is not just an emotional thing, it's an intellectual thing. It takes uh, both our minds and our hearts to be engaged with you so that we can become all that you've called us to be. And so I pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would use it uh, to further an understanding of what you have for us and who we are in Christ. And I pray, Lord, again that if there's anyone in this room right now or listening to this on a recording that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, that before they leave this room, before they shut off their device that's playing this recording, that they would take a moment and they would just open their hearts and minds to you and, and honestly ask themselves where they stand before you. Ask themselves if they've ever personally received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then honestly and openly seek you in your word and ask you to show them their need for you. I pray, Lord, you'd convict all of us where we need convicting. I pray that you'd encourage all of us where we need encouraging. And above all things, I pray that you are glorified. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy again. What a great encouragement. And I want to focus on verse 17. It says, The, the man or woman of God, man meaning human, uh, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you're perfect, Okay, And I know there's a spiritual aspect of this that I love what, the, what Jeff read, uh, that we are already seated in the heavenlies okay, in Christ. We know that from God's perspective, we are forgiven of all sin, and therefore we are perfect in Christ. But we know in the flesh, we still struggle. We still have temptations and battles and weaknesses. And so if you, if you think you're perfect in the flesh, you're, you're 100% perfect in the flesh, raise your hand. Perfect, anyone? Perfect, perfect. Okay, I thought so. So when you read that, you kind of go, wait a minute, I'm not perfect. So what's that mean, perfect, here in this verse? It doesn't mean perfect, meaning flawless. It means perfect, mature, complete. That through the understanding of God's word and by allowing God's word to teach us, reprove us, instruct us, and guide us, we are maturing, we are growing in Christ. We are able then, once we are growing in Christ, to understand or to see that we have already been thoroughly furnished Unto all good works. I love this verse because I love what Paul tells Timothy. He says, Hey, listen, how did you even come to know Christ, Timothy? we always talk about his mother and his grandmother and their influence, which we find out through the Word of God. And that's amazing to have a heritage of faith. Amen? It's amazing when our parents or even our grandparents or even great-grandparents know the Lord and they raise us up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we can come to faith in Jesus Christ at a long age because we had parents or grandparents that just loved on us and walked with us and took us to church and shared the gospel with us. And it's amazing to have that heritage of faith. And I pray that if you grew up in that, I'm not saying everything was perfect, by the way. I'm not saying they did everything right, okay? I'm a parent of two boys. I, do, I don't do anything right half the time. I do some things right some of the time, okay? I get that it's not perfect, and maybe they didn't always make the best choices and all that stuff. But man, if you had parents or grandparents that loved you enough to share the gospel with you, man, we need to praise God for that. We need to be thankful for that. I didn't grow up in a home like that. I didn't grow up in a home where my parents knew the Lord. My mom grew up in a Catholic home, and, and she wanted nothing to do with God. My stepdad was... I mean, just very opposite of what you'd call a Christian or church. I didn't grow up in that environment. So I came to Christ at 16, and I didn't know any of this stuff. But I was so thankful that now, this is so cool how God can break these cycles, amen? Now, my wife and I in Christ have the amazing privilege, and it's a privilege that we can raise our boys up in the Lord. And we can encourage them in the things of God. And it's so amazing to see them wanting to serve the Lord and wanting to be involved and wanting to do things for the Lord. And so as we're thinking on that, Timothy had that, that experience growing up. But listen, Paul doesn't start with the grandma and the mother. He says, how did you come to know the things that you needed to know for salvation? It came through the Holy Scriptures. It's the Word of God he says, this is how you are able to know what it means to be saved. And what is the salvation message? What is the gospel? It's through faith in Christ. Isn't that beautiful how simple that is? It's in faith through Christ. It's not in joining this or that church. It's not in getting baptized. It's not in doing good religious deeds. We have to establish before we get to the good work that God calls us to do, we got to understand that there is a greater work that Jesus did for you. And that great work is the gospel. He died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And praise God, death was arrested, and I don't need to fear death anymore. And I don't need to fear what comes after this life. I have a confidence and a hope in Christ. Why? Because the Word of God has given me that guarantee. This is where I find my security for salvation. It is not through works we do. It is through faith in Christ alone. And I'm telling you, we got to get this right, because if we don't get this right, and we start talking about good work and doing things and doing the things that God has called us to do. We start to think that doing the good works gets me to God. No, no, no. Doing the good things that God calls us to comes out of a relationship with Him. It starts in Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not even about how we feel sometimes, it's about the truth of God's Word. We are saved because He saved us by the guarantee of His gospel in His Word. And we need to trust on that and base our lives, our eternal lives on that. Now once we understand that, once we've come to a knowledge of the gospel and we know we've received Christ as our Savior, now we can start to do what the Bible calls good work. Now we can start to live in an appropriate understanding as as I'm serving Christ by serving others or by doing things for others. Now that's in a right balance because I'm not looking at it to gain me favor with God. I already have acceptance through Christ. And he says in verse 17... That the man or woman of God may be perfect, complete, mature, whatever word you want to use there, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When I read the word furnished, I think about a studio apartment already with furniture in it. That's what I think of. I think of a nice little couch, maybe a coffee table, a little love seat, 65, 70-inch flat screen. That's furnished, okay? Okay? What's, that? What's high def? Is that what you said? Okay, yeah, recliner. Yes. How do you have a recliner? I left that out of the room. Who wants a room without a recliner? Come on now. Okay. Now, if you get the reclining couch, now you're living large because now it's like it's a couch. A recline. You got the cup holder in the middle. Okay. Anyway, if you could put a fridge in there, that would be just. I mean, you wouldn't have to leave. Well, except to go to the bathroom, but I'm sure we could come up with something for that. But anyway, <laughs> did I say that in church? I think I did say that in church. Okay. So, what are we talking about? Furnished. What is Paul referring to here? Some of your translations might use different wording here. the The word that I think that is the best. Word for our understanding today is the word equipped equipped. And so he says here that you might be thoroughly equipped unto all good works. The word equipped or furnished actually refers to in the original Greek language, which was the original language of this text, it actually means to make something suitable or useful. That's that's good. Uh, that's I'm going to sign my own Bible when I'm done preaching this message, okay? Some of you aren't old enough to know what that means. Ask me later, okay? Um, I've never signed a Bible before, by the way, except for the ones I had to sign because they were graduates graduating out of youth group. But when you think about that, he's saying, listen, in Christ, foundation, get it right. We can't mess it up. In Christ is our foundation. Because our foundation is in Christ, now we are maturing in Christ and we're equipped. What does that mean? We're becoming suitable or useful for all good work. Again, I may not feel at times in my life that I am very useful to God I may not believe that I'm actually able to do these things, but because we have been saved by Christ, we are useful to Christ because He has made us useful in Him. As we begin this series, I want to take a moment and say, as we've heard it said many times before, I've said it before, uh, the greatest thing you can do in being used by God in this life as a follower of Christ in any area of service in Christ or to Christ is to start. It's just to start. I want to be clear on this. The greatest step you can make as a follower of Christ in the appropriate understanding and balance of this. And we're going to unpack. Some of you are on that fence. You're like, I want to start, but I've started 50 things and I don't know if I can keep starting. Okay, we're going to get to that. We're going to break all that down. But when you think about this, sometimes we 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 allow these feelings of of inadequacy or I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I can't do that good enough. I could so-and-so can do it way better. That's fine. All your called to do is start. Just start. And I'm promising you, when you start in Christ, you will be amazed at where God leads you, where God takes you, and the opportunities that God will open up to you. It won't always be like what you think it'll be like, but man, it's always going to be worth it in the end. And so we have to believe that this morning. Uh, along those lines, I, I want to say again, obviously today is what we call Volunteer Appreciation Sunday. And what we do is we take time today. We're going to have an amazing luncheon. I went in the kitchen to get a bottle of water uh, during greet time. I did not sample any food. Where's Greg? I didn't eat anything, promise. Okay, cross my heart, all that stuff. Okay, I smelled really, really good. Okay, I'm not kidding guys. There was like a counter which is lined with crockpots. You know what my temptation was, right? What's, guy, what's, what's every guy's temptation when they see a crockpot? I wanted to go down the line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. The flower one. I'm getting some of that. Okay. Right. We, got, we want to do that. But I went in there to get, and I saw that and I thought, man, God, that's so cool. I love coming together with God's people and just having a meal together and just, man, just enjoying some time together with God's people. I just want to let you know, as pastor of North Goodland, I am extremely thankful for every volunteer, every worker, every servant. Listen, I cannot do. God It has a great plan for our church. I believe this. And I know for a fact I can't do it all. I can't. I can't do half of it. Okay? I've not been called to do all of it. But I am so thankful for a church that comes alongside, that equipped with Christ's indwelling Holy Spirit, walks this life out, serves and volunteers, man, from nursery to junior church to Wednesday night Word of Life to prayer meetings to Tuesday night to Monday meetings, to whatever we're talking about, people that come up and clean the church, just volunteer to vacuum rugs and clean the bathrooms. And listen, when you show up on a Sunday morning, you probably don't think, oh, the bathroom's clean. I'm really thankful for the person that mopped the bathroom this week. We don't always think that way, but I want let you to know, man, all of that is getting done behind the scenes. Ministry here is not just what you see on the stage on Sunday morning. This is part of it. But man, even ministries that are extensions of our church, things that are getting done in the community that are extensions of our church. I am so thankful for every volunteer, leader, servant. I'm thankful for our men that sit on our board, uh, those that are trustees, those that are deacons, those that come alongside me. And man, I can tell you there's so much peace in walking to a deacon meeting with trustees there and, and say, man, guys, this is where God is leading. What do you think? And to, to share ideas and just have their wisdom and their guidance. Uh, I can tell you honestly, Appreciation Sunday means so much to me. Because I want our church to know that I appreciate every single thing people do here. And I I hope you know that there is not a day that goes by that I don't sit in my office and I think, God, you are so amazing to let me be a part of this great church. And I know we're not a perfect church, but my t-shirt says it all. I believe it. I was going to tell people to wear their I love my church shirts from last year, but I thought, no, we'll just see what happens. I love that I saw a couple. I see a couple that are running around here. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but you can't really hide. Okay, you're wearing a bright red shirt that says I love my church. But anyway... (laughs) Man, I'm so thankful for North Goodland. Uh, this is the church I came to know Christ in. Uh, this is the youth group that brought me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is the church where I followed the Lord and believers' baptism. Uh, this is the church where I was allowed so graciously by Pastor Tom Blount uh, to preach first couple messages. They were not good, okay? If you have those on recording, burn those because they're not going to do any good, okay? <laughs> but I'm so thankful for this church. And so I guess I'm just saying this, man. I believe this is a great church. And I know we're not a perfect church. We're never going to be a perfect church. But, man, I'm striving to be the church. And so I'm thankful for North Goodland. So thank you if you serve here in any way. And and let people know there's people serving right now, nursery, junior church, uh, all over the building. When you see them today at lunch, if you know someone that's serving, man, let them know you appreciate them. Sometimes in ministry it's hard when you don't get the thank you. Now, listen, I know a lot of people that do ministry that they never get a thank you, and they're okay with that because... They're just doing it for the Lord. But I understand it's nice to hear an add-a-boy, add-a-girl appreciate you, thinking of you, praying for you, love on them in that way. So listen, if you know someone that's serving, and even the smallest thing, let them know you appreciate them today. So as we talk about all that, I want to kind of share that quickly. I want to jump into what does it look like for this good work that we're talking about? How do, we, how do we get started with this good work? Because I truly believe the best way to start, the best way to begin a good work is to just start, right? So I want to look back in the Old Testament. I want to look at an example in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah. So if you, again, if you have your Bible with you, turn over to the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter one. Uh, we're going to look there at the life and the story of Nehemiah over the next couple of weeks. And uh, this isn't so much a story through a study through Nehemiah the book per se. We're kind of using Nehemiah as a springboard in understanding how God is calling us to do this good work that we are called to do. And so as you're turning to Nehemiah, again, uh, right after the book of Ezra, if you find the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, it's the next book there. Uh, page 381 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. Page 381. Some people are like, oh, 380." Oh, wait a minute. That's a different Bible. Okay. So who is Nehemiah? I want to give you a little background here on Nehemiah before we jump into his story. So we have the best understanding of how God used Nehemiah in an amazing way and how God can use us today. So Nehemiah, uh, he is a Jewish man. Uh, He is what's called a cup bearer to the king. Uh, He is known by the king of Persia, and he is living in Persia at the time. And this is following the captivity of the Jewish people by the Babylonians. If many of you have studied or heard of uh, Old Testament history, you know that the uh, southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, uh, was captured by the Babylonians. They were taken into captivity, uh, used as servants and also individuals that were used in the courts and things like this. Uh, Daniel and the three Hebrews that were taken, if you read about the uh, fiery furnace experience, uh, Daniel's story, they were taken in the captivity. So they were in Babylon Babylon, uh, during this time. Uh, Nehemiah comes on the scene a little bit later, uh, quite a bit later. Uh, By the time Nehemiah comes on the scene, the Persians have defeated the Babylonians, and they have allowed the Jewish people to return to their land. They're allowing them to return back to Jerusalem and to Judah. And as this is happening, Nehemiah is in Persia. He stays in Persia. A side note to this, just for historical context, uh, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and the book of Ezra, uh, in, older, in the older Hebrew manuscripts, those books are actually combined as one. Um, they are separated later, uh, but the content is so similar, and Nehemiah and Ezra are contemporaries of one another, so the books were combined at one point. Uh, later on, they were divided into two books, but you'll see a lot of overlapping between the two books. If you were to read both together or congruently, you'll see a lot of similarities there. And so as we're looking at this individual named Nehemiah, uh, the people are returning to Jerusalem. It should be a great time. It is a great time. Ezra's gone on before to start rebuilding the temple. Uh, Things are going well that way, but some news comes to Nehemiah that he's not happy about, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Nehemiah is not a prophet. Uh, He is not a priest. Uh, He is truly a lay person. Uh, He is not anyone of that kind of level as far as a prophet or a priest. Um, In fact, our Bible is a little different on this. I don't want to get too far into this. But Nehemiah, the events of Nehemiah actually take place towards the end of the Old Testament. I know it's earlier on in our Old Testament as far as how the books are ordered. But the events of Nehemiah actually take place towards the end of the Old Testament. So there's a time period of 400 years in the nation of Israel where God is silent There's no prophet. There's no one speaking on behalf of God as far as direct revelation from God. When Nehemiah comes on the scene, this period of 400 years is beginning. It's already starting. And so this is not Nehemiah prophesying about God. Nehemiah is purely a layperson with a burden. And that's so huge for us today to understand. We think, well, if I was a deacon, or if I was a pastor, or if I was a missionary, well, then I would go do that good work that God is calling me to do. No, 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 no. We can do the good work God calls us to when he calls us to do it because he has equipped us not with position necessarily, but with his spirit and his word. So when we read this here, uh, people are returning to the land, but there's a problem. So Nehemiah is made aware of a problem that's happening as the people, the Jews, are returning back to Jerusalem, following a long period of captivity. Nehemiah chapter one, in verse two. <coughs> Excuse me. Nehemiah chapter one in verse two. It says here that Hanai, one of the brethren, came. He and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is asking what's going on with these that are returning. Verse 3. And they said unto me the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And so Nehemiah is made aware of a troubling situation. The city walls of Jerusalem are destroyed and the people are left unprotected. The Babylonians had destroyed the gates and the walls uh, when they captured Jerusalem. And now here we are many, many years later, and the walls are still not complete, and Nehemiah's heart is literally broken. Now, the reason it's, Im- it's broken, and the reason we understand this is going on, because in this day and age, the city walls were your protection from other nations, other, other people groups. And think about this. If there was no protection around Jerusalem, anyone can just march right in and just take whatever they want. There was no visible protection. And as I think about this, I think about when I was in Romania a few years ago, and it was amazing. Everywhere I went in Romania, every house had a fence, not like a picket fence, like a large steel metal fence, six, eight feet high. And I remember as I was walking around, I noticed that, and everyone had dogs, like everyone. Not in the house, oh, you're so cute, dogs. Like outside, Rottweiler's, blah, 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 dogs, okay? Like, I'll rip your face off kind of dogs, okay? And as I was talking to the missionary that we were working with, I said, man, I can't help but notice, but everybody has fences. Even the smallest little, not very well-kept houses had fences and dogs, fences and dogs. I'm like, what in the world is this? And they said, well, in Romania, there's gypsies. And then gypsy, you know, urban legend is mostly true. As far as that goes, they are, they do steal a lot, and they do take a lot, and these kind of things. And this guy said, if you don't have a fence and dogs, they'll just break in and steal whatever is in your yard. Like in the middle of the night, they'll just take whatever. And I think about that when I think about Nehemiah here. There was no protection. There was no border protection between these people out here, these other nations. They could just walk right in. And so Nehemiah's heart is broken. Why? Not because so much the walls are tore down, but because the people... Are left vulnerable. The people of Jerusalem that are trying to return and trying to rebuild, they're left vulnerable. Nehemiah had a great position of importance in the kingdom. He was a cupbearer, and again, we mentioned that, but he, as a cupbearer, and I don't know if I'd want this job, but he tastes the food and drink of the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. I don't think there was a long line of applicants for that job. Like, LinkedIn was like, one applicant, okay? His name's Nehemiah. He's pretty good, qualified. I'd choose him, okay? This is Nehemiah's job. But think about this. That's somebody of great integrity, great character, that your job is to be the one that the king trusts so much that you would taste it and not lie to him and allow him to be poisoned. And so Nehemiah was a great man of integrity, a great man of character, a great position of authority in the kingdom. And as this is going on, We understand that Nehemiah stayed back, but isn't it amazing how when we make choices, we don't even see how God is going to use it in the bigger picture? Nehemiah just made a choice to stay, and who knows why Nehemiah made the choice to stay in Persia instead of returning to Jerusalem, but he made the choice to stay. And as a fact of staying, God was able to use him in a great way, as we see God doing throughout human history. Uh, We saw that with Esther, we see that with other individuals in the Bible. And so this is Nehemiah, he's heard about this burden, he's heard about this need and the affliction of his people, the Jews, in Jerusalem, and he's starting to understand I have a good work that I need to do. There's a good work that I have to accomplish. And so we're going to use what Nehemiah does as a pattern to understand how we can begin the good work that God has called us to. So what's the first thing that we have to understand from what we see with Nehemiah? Well, the first thing we see is we have to ask the question, what moves you? What moves you? What moves you with compassion? Nehemiah 1 in verse 4. He's heard all these things, and look at verse 4. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that there was reproach and affliction and all these things. When I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Man, his heart was broken. He was moved with compassion. I I love this because what was Jesus' response when he saw the multitudes that were lost and undone? He was moved with compassion because they were sheep with no shepherd. See, Nehemiah's heart is broken for his people and their situation. He was moved with compassion when he heard their situation. He was brokenhearted and wept for them. So here's my challenge to us this morning. We must honestly evaluate what needs that we see around us. Move us to want to act. What are the needs that you see around you that move you to want to act? Now, let me be clear on this. I'm going to give you guys a couple little kind of uh, asterisks at the end of this to hopefully give it individual application. The key is we may not respond emotionally as Nehemiah did. Uh, Nehemiah sat down and wept, and this was heartbroken. You may not respond the exact same way. That's okay. Just You're moved by something doesn't mean you're going to respond emotionally the same way someone else does. There may be tears, there may not be tears. Whatever that looks like. I don't want to give us this, we got to do exactly what Nehemiah did to the letter. No, 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 no. It's just this idea, am I moved with compassion? Am I, am I burdened for these people or this need that I see around me? The key is, what makes our hearts move within us? Maybe it's those suffering in neglect or poverty Maybe it's those that are left undone that have no food or provision and you're moved with compassion for them. You desire, you're burdened to help them. Maybe it's those that are hurting from physical pains as they've gotten older and and you feel a burden for them as older individuals to come alongside and help them. Maybe it's the youth of this generation that you are moved with to encourage and lead to a greater understanding of Christ from the littlest to even teenagers. Maybe you're moved and have a burden for students or children. Maybe it's other men or women in your peer group, in your age group that you have a burden for to help and encourage and strengthen in Christ. And maybe it's those caught in addiction or bondage and and you have a burden to go to them and encourage them and just love on them and lift them up. I don't know what your specific burden is. I don't know what specifically moves your hearts. But I want to let you know as a follower of Christ, there's one burden we all should carry. There's one burden every one of us should be moved with and that's the need for the gospel to be preached to those who don't know it. You can have a specific burden, a specific hurt, a thing that man I just I got to I got to reach these kids, I got to reach these people in this situation. But one need, one burden that should be on all of our hearts as followers of Christ is that those who don't know Christ, our hearts should break for the lost. Our hearts should be moved with compassion to share the gospel with them, that they would come to know Christ. Because if we truly believe the gospel, then we better believe it enough to put it into action. If we believe that someone needs to know Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sins and spend eternity with him in heaven, if we believe that to the fullest, then we better sure act on that. And so our hearts can be moved by different things at different times, but the greatest burden we carry as followers of Christ is that others will know the gospel. Because listen, there is no greater message we can teach. There is no greater love that we can show than showing someone and telling someone the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen, here's the thing. You may not know your specific need. You might be sitting there thinking, like, I don't know what moves me. I don't really know. I mean, I have a burden for a lot of things. I have a burden for a few things. I don't know. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But once we are moved with compassion, the next step is to kneel to pray. We're moved with compassion, and then we have to pray. We have to kneel to pray. Look what he says here. I'm going to read a few verses here, verses 5 through 11. And this is Nehemiah's prayer. And I love when God gives us the gracious privilege of reading the prayers of others in the Word of God. Because it encourages me to think, man, if they can pray that way, then I can pray the way I pray. I'm so thankful God likes honest prayers. Look what he says here in verse 5. Instead, said what? He says in verse 4, he's praying to God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. That terrible doesn't mean like terrible, like scary. It's terrible, like awesome, like powerful. Okay? And he is a powerful God. He says here, and I I said, I beseech thee, O O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keeps covenant and mercy for them, and that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, and that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. Man, this wasn't like a, what I call a popcorn prayer, right? It wasn't just like threw it out and let it go. Man, Nehemiah is moved to the point he goes to prayer and he spends serious time in prayer. It says, for the children of Israel, thy servants, listen to what he says here, this is key, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these that are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy great strong hand, O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Amen. Can you hear the passion of Nehemiah's prayer? Can you hear the the conviction and the emotion of Nehemiah's prayer? He prayed honestly before God. I also love that Nehemiah acknowledges that the people have sinned. You notice that? He's open about it. He doesn't just say, those people over there have sinned. Those people, you know, those guys over there, them, those ones, mm, they bad, they sin. He says, no, 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 the children have sinned. And by the way, I have sinned. He says, we have broken your commitment. We have done this thing. And so I want to remind us again in the gospel, it's not I'm better than them. It's we've all fallen into sin and we've received grace and we preach grace that they would come to know forgiveness of sins as well. It's not about being better than anyone. It's about understanding we all need his grace. Nehemiah acknowledges the sins of the people. He doesn't accuse God of wrongdoing. Remember, it was God that allowed the Babylonians to capture the Jews to begin with. It was God that allowed the Babylonians to come in and take Jerusalem and and put them into captivity. But Nehemiah never blames God, never says you were unjust, never says it was unfair, never whines or complains. He says, no, you were right to do so. We blew it. We broke your laws. So he's taking responsibility for what has gone on to this point. But then he also asks God, God, because you are so great and powerful, And because your desire is to redeem, will you give me favor with the king that I might return and do this good work? Nehemiah understood that he had a responsibility to do the work, but also realized that without God's blessing and leading, it was never going to work. He understood he had a responsibility to do the work, but he knew without God's blessing and leading, it would never work. He asked that the only one who could intervene on the king's heart to move, can I ask us to learn from that this morning? To learn from that example and realize how we need to pray and seek his intervention in the things that God leads us to do. We are surrounded by people who have lives that are broken down and unprotected. People are living lives of unprotection. They're just vulnerable to this world's attacks, to, to, to the enemy and the things that he will bring against them. But I want to let you know we can make a difference in their lives. But it all starts with seeking the Father, connecting with him, asking for him to intervene. We can only do what we can do. We can't reach everyone. I individually cannot reach everyone. I can't do it. But God can intervene and open doors in the people's lives that need to be reached so that those who can reach them will be able to. I think we need to be careful when we wrestle with the burden for those in need. I think of those that have great intentions to try to reach everybody. Uh, They carry a burden for everyone. In every person, in every situation, they try to be the help and be the one and be the, the rock and try to always be the one that meets the need. It's great intention, great love, great desire, but it's unrealistic and it sets us up for failure. Nowhere in God's word does he say one individual reaches all the needs, unless you're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, don't, don't put that burden on you. Don't think that because you have a burden to reach someone in this area that you have to reach everyone in that area. Man, God has put people around you, given you opportunities, given you open doors where you are. Just start reaching those around you. Start loving on those around you, encouraging those around you, ministering to those around you. Get connected, yes. Get involved in ministries that can reach those people groups, those individuals in those situations. But listen, I'm telling you from experience and conversations I have with people, Don't let a good burden overwhelm you into trying to reach everyone and then you in turn reach no one because you burn out and quit. Don't carry that weight on your shoulders. You're not meant to. Only Jesus Christ can reach everyone. And so what you do is you pray, God, give me wisdom and guidance and allow me to see where you're opening doors so that I can reach those that you're calling me to reach. And then for those I can't reach physically, I, I just don't have enough time in the day to make that many phone calls, to do that many things, then I pray you'd give me wisdom to pray that somebody in that area will reach them, that an opportunity be opened up. And I want to I be clear on this because I think we do this to ourselves with great intentions again and a great desire, but we burn ourselves out because we try to reach everyone. We think it's our job to meet every need. We can't. So what do we learn from the example of Jesus? Jesus ministered to thousands while he was on planet Earth. He preached to the multitudes, but he had 12 disciples, and he had a, a fairly close relationship with those 12. He walked with them and lived with them for three and a half years. But even in the 12, we see there was what we call the inner three, the inner circle. Really, it was four because Andrew's involved in that, but he's kind of in the background. Right? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Those are the ones that we really see Jesus spending the most time with, really kind of building into. And so what do we see a pattern here for our lives? Now, I'm not saying it's exact numbers, okay? But we see with Jesus, he, he got intimate with three, four people, a small group of people. He really got into that li- those lives for three years. He grew a, somewhat of a good relationship with 12. He ministered to, you know, spent time with 12. But beyond that, it was more of a general public ministry to the multitudes. So my encouragement to you is begin praying, God, who, is, who, is, who are those in my immediate area of influence that I can start to reach? And then here's the thing. You might think, well, what about the other people that need to be reached? Well, as you're reaching your 12, or whatever that number is for you, guess what? They're going to start reaching their 12. And they're going to start reaching their 12. And within a short time, you're going to see people's needs getting met. You had nothing to do with other than just loving and encouraging with the word of God this one, who loved and encouraged this one. Who this, and next thing you know, you're like, well, praise God, he did that. So want to encourage you, when we start looking around us at all the needs, we can get overwhelmed. There's a lot of need, a lot of people hurting. A lot of people need the Lord this this morning and need his encouragement. And so we go to those we can. But man, be careful, be guarded from allowing it to become something where it actually detracts and deters you from reaching those who God would have you reach. So now that we understand that, we've, we've been moved with compassion for some group, some individuals and burdened with something. We, we see a need. We want to act. We pray. Once we pray, then what do we do? We stand up and act. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4. Nehemiah 2.4 says, as we're reading here from the life of Nehemiah, and Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? King king's saying, hey, okay, Nehemiah, and you can read the whole story, but Nehemiah comes before the king. king asks, hey, why do you look so... Why do you look so glum? Why do, you look, why do you look down? And he asked him, okay, what do you want? Isn't it amazing how God works? He says, what do you want? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. See, again, there's that prayer. God, intervene. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may rebuild it. When we know the story, the king grants him this request. And Nehemiah acts. He does what he's been praying about doing. Nehemiah made the decision to act, to do what he could, to do what he could. Many times I am moved with compassion for a need. I pray for that need, clearly realizing that God has equipped me to meet that need in that situation. I'm not overreaching. I'm not, I'm not stretching myself too thin. I'm not going beyond wisdom. I'm not overreaching, but using godly wisdom, and yet I will never move past prayer if I'm not focused, if I'm not where I need to be. So many times we as Christians will be moved, will know God is saying, this is the one, I'm, I, look, I dropped them in your lap. Now, I mean, not literally, that would be awkward. But here you go, boom, there's your person. There's your need. There's your class that can be taught. There's your ministry that needs to be done. There's whatever it is. Here, it's right there. You know you can do it. You're equipped to do it. You have time to do it. You have the energy to do it. You're ready to go. And then you just keep praying. Well, I'm still praying about that. And I do think there's a point in the Christian walk where we can kind of start to use I'm praying about that to kind of cover up the fact that we're not doing anything. I know that's really sounding like borderline unspiritual. I hope you know what I mean when I say that. We should be praying about these things. We better be praying about these things. But if you can honestly see God is opening the door, he's equipped you, you've prayed about it, you're moved with compassion for it, he's given you the opportunity, and we choose to not act and we say I'm praying about it, that's not a spiritual out. God is saying, no, I want you to be obedient and act. Look, it's, it's obvious. And so my encouragement to you is, yes, we need to pray about it, but don't use prayer to avoid acting and doing what God has called us to do. We must be bold in Christ, not in self, to act as though God gives opportunity, not as I see the best opportunity. We must be wise in this. Nehemiah acted, and as you read the story for yourself, Nehemiah acted even though there was opposition, even though things didn't start off smooth, even though he might have had doubts, he acted with God's direction. My encouragement to all of us is don't let fear hold you back. Don't let the lack of instant results think that what you are doing is not making a difference. Just stand up and act. Trust God with the results. Isn't that the beauty of all this? We can start the good work. We can walk this out in our lives. And we don't have to worry about the results. Because we don't create the results. We don't make the results. We merely do what God is calling us to do. We, we plant the seeds. We show people what God's word says. We, we try to meet the needs as best we can as God opens doors. And then we just say, okay, God, this is your thing. This is your harvest. The Bible is pretty clear. Some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. And so we just say, God, my hands are off this thing. you got to do this thing. And I think we get ourselves in a little bit of trouble when we try to force results. We try to, I'm going to make this person you can't make anybody do anything. We can't even barely control ourselves. We're trying to control other people. How's that work? we got to step back and say, God, no, I've done all I can do. Now you need to do what you can do. And that's the amazing blessing in doing a good work for him. So let me ask you just real quick. We're going to close in prayer in just a moment. I haven't smelled much of the food, so I've not been tempted. Maybe though, towards the back, you've had a little bit of an issue with this. But I want to close with this. And I want to ask you to think this out. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. An invitation is really simple. It's just a chance to come and bend a knee. If you want to pray and ask God to work this out in your life, maybe you have a, a decision you need to make or something you want, feel God leading you to do. Maybe you want to pray there in your seats. Uh, whatever God is leading, we're going to give you a chance to respond to that. No one's going to call you out. No one's going to embarrass you. It's just a time for you to respond to whatever God is moving in your life. But as we get ready to do that, I want to ask you, what is that good work that God is laying on your hearts? What is that good work or that, that, that thing that God has impressed upon you? What is, who is that person? Now, again, I'm not talking about a voice speaking through a burning bush. Okay? Wouldn't it be great if God did that, though? John, do this. Okay, I'm clear. I got that. I know now what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't always work that way. So I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. I mean, when we are walking and abiding in Christ... We're abiding in his word. We're praying actively, seeking him daily in our own personal walk. And through that relationship that we have with Christ, he lays a burden on our hearts. He just lays a burden on our hearts. If you know what that is, if you feel God has opened a door there, then I want to encourage you to pray for that work to pray for God to open doors, to create opportunities, and to make it clear. Some of you have already been to this place. You've already kn- you already know what your burden is. You already know what God is doing. He's already opened doors. You're already starting to step through them. Then my encouragement to you is pray for endurance. Pray, God, keep me, keep me focused on this. Keep me, keep me steadfast. Because when we start doing the good work that God's calling us to do, the flesh and the enemy is not going to like that. And you're going to have opposition. You're going to have all kinds of things come against you. And you need to refocus and say, no, God, give me wisdom in this. Help me to walk this out in your strength. If you're here this morning and you say, no, I don't know what my specific burden is. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing specifically. I don't know what my specific good work is. Then I would encourage you that while you may not know the specific work he has called you to, you do know the general call he's put on all of our lives to evangelism, to share Christ, to disciple other individuals and to grow in Christ, to share the gospel of his good news with others. So if you're here today and you say, I don't know what that specific thing is, I don't really know, then maybe what you would do is say, God, just help me to walk consistently in the call that I have seen in my life to make disciples, to share your gospel, because I'm promising you through that relationship, he'll begin to open doors and lay burdens on our heart. And so I want to encourage you this morning. What is it that God has laid on your heart? What's that burden that you have? And are you willing to allow God to strengthen you in that? So would you bow in a word of prayer? We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to ask that every head be bowed, eye closed, begin to spend time with the Lord as the band's going to come in just a moment. As the band comes and we begin, just a time of invitation, I want to encourage you this morning to ask God to lead you and to guide you into what he would have for you to do. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you that through Christ, you have saved us and redeemed us and strengthened us to be your sons and daughters. And I thank you that through the gospel and through the the understanding of your word, you have equipped us to be ready, to be useful, to be suitable for what you have for us. Father, I pray that as only you can, that you would open our eyes to the opportunities that surround us, that you would open our hearts to the burdens you have trapped in addiction and bondage. Maybe it's the younger generation, the kids that are coming up. We just have a burden for them. We have a love for them. And maybe we just want to just teach them and, and just encourage them in the things of God. Uh, maybe it's the older generation. We just want to equip them and, and help them and serve them and minister to them as so many of them have ministered in, in giving their lives to our uh, nation even, for those that have served our country, for those that have just lived a long life. and have done so much for others, and now we get to repay that to some degree by encouraging them and just supporting them. Father, whatever it is, whatever burden it is, I pray that we would know that just because it's a different burden doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean that one burden is greater than another. For the one here that's moved to love on kids and help them, that's not a greater burden than those that are here to with the desire to help the impoverished and those in poverty. It's not, it's not a competition. It's about doing what you've called us to do, to start the good work, to see and ask what moves us, to, uh, to spend time with you in prayer, and then to stand up and act. So I pray that we would open our hearts and minds to you this morning as you lead God and direct. Father, thank you for all of this, and I pray again and to somebody who doesn't know Christ. I pray before they leave this room, they would know that your word makes it clear that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ that if we choose to reject Christ and die in our sins, that the truth of the matter is that we will be we will be punished for all of eternity in a place called hell. It's not a scare tactic. It's not a fear factor to try to scare someone into getting saved. It's the reality of it. But I'm so thankful that you came, that we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to spend eternity trying to pay for our sins. You've already paid for those on the cross. And so I pray that we'd come to know you as Savior. Father, lead God and direct as only you can, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we are led in a time of invitation, would you respond to him? Whatever God is doing, would you come and maybe pray, bend a knee? You know the good work that God has called you to, you're, you're scared to start. And maybe you want to come and say, God, show me, I'm ready for this. I was born for this. Maybe you don't know that specific call. Maybe you'd come and pray for wisdom. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him as we spend time worshiping him?